0: Alright, let's move forward. Um, If you want to take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, or also a Bible that should be in the seat in front of you, our uh, team is going to hand you an additional piece of paper. They're going to be coming down the aisles and giving you a piece of paper. That is for you to communicate on, to reflect on, to share your worship while I'm teaching. We have a short amount of time together we have about 22 minutes, it looks like, um, together. And so on that, I'm expecting some of you that love to process by doodling or jotting down or journaling, whatever it is, I'm expecting you not to look at me a whole lot because you're going to be engaging with your Lord. I'm going to be sharing behind all of that by giving you a message this morning through one of the most powerful psalms ever written. It is the psalm that was on Jesus' lips upon the cross. It's Psalm 22. No psalm is quoted more in the New Testament. It's quoted 15 times and it begins with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is something that we're all familiar with. This is a psalm that is attributed to David and we're going to go through that this morning in a rather rapid fashion. Um, I hope all of you received a heads up on this weekend about how, remember the last weekend of every month, we change everything up. Well, we changed it all up and I gave you a full rundown on how this weekend would go on the city. If you did not get that, it's not likely you're on the city because I posted it to everybody signed up there. You should have received an alert. So if you have not signed up on the city, that's my primary way of contacting you. So please make sure that you do that on the way out. All right. We are in part 10 of our learning to worship series, and I entitled this morning's message Weaving God Back Into Life. And you know that in this season, uh, we are doing two series. The one that's normal that you hear is the one through First and Second Samuel. But this last full weekend of the month, we go through a psalm. And the psalms are rather unusual. One of the largest books in all the entire scripture is a book of creativity. It's a book of poetry. Now, why would that be the case? Well, you have heard in the videos and from uh, uh, Jake, you've heard that God is a God of creativity. It's the reason why we all look different. It's the reason why there's no two same, what, snowflakes, fingerprints, stuff like that. We all have variety. Trees are different. Mountains are different. Our God is infinitely creative. And if we are made in his image, wouldn't it only make sense that we are creative as well? Now, I want you to blow out your idea of what creative means, because some of you say, I am not creative. I disagree. I believe by nature you are creative. Even things such as the desire to have children is an element of creativity. The idea of mathematics is creativity because it was the gentlemen and the ladies throughout history that were able to help put parameters around the mathematical system by the creativity of their minds. I want you to make sure to understand that computers, elements of creativity... Maybe it's decorating at home, creativity. It's all over the place. We are creative beings. And I think that it's fascinating that God allowed one of the largest books in the entire Bible to be creative at its very core. That it would be poetry. Now, what we're about to read is a story of David... That made sense to him at the time scholars have no idea when he went through this period or how in the world this made sense to him But we also know that it was an element of prophecy Prophecy is extraordinarily odd Prophecy David is writing this 950 years before Jesus Christ is on the cross Yet the words that he is about to write become verbatim played out with jesus how does that happen why would god employ something like that sharing with us his revelation truth that is of the future now how intensely creative we all know that god has always communicated with man in a creative way think of how jesus christ spent the majority of his ministry speaking through parables why would you speak through parables why don't you just say what you mean Well, I don't know if I tell you Jesus can remove your sin And set you free is that as powerful as the drama we just saw The drama shows that there is a mark on our life And you were drawn into the story you began to go I remember feeling like that or I feel like that right now See what creativity does is it goes right through your head into your heart And it pulls you out into the process Jesus taught parables because they're engaging. Jesus was a storyteller because stories are engaging Now normally when we look at scripture, there is a rule that we need to apply The rule of interpretation is this. There is one intended meaning by the author How you apply that truth can be many things, all right? But you cannot make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. There was likely one intended meaning by the author. And then you can apply that in various ways. Prophecy violates that rule. It's the exception. Because David was writing about something he knew, but it was also going to become true about something that he didn't know. And that's what's so beautiful about this passage. So why are we focusing so much on art? Why are we focusing so much on creativity? Because we need it desperately. And here's why. Is everybody familiar with the idea that if a child, a little kid, goes through trauma, you cannot just set them into a counselor's room, sit them on a couch, and say, tell me what's wrong with you. That's not fair, it's not appropriate, and it's not helpful. Why? Because they lack the vocabulary... And the connection points to tell you their pain accurately So what do counselors do? They do art therapy Art therapy is that you bring the child into the room And you allow them to express themselves through painting and drawing Why? Because they can communicate in color what they cannot in words They can communicate in images What they cannot communicate with their limited vocabulary We're the exact same way. It doesn't matter how old we get. The idea is, is when we go up to respond to God and worship, you're not going to know all the right words to say about how you feel towards God and what's going on in your life. So what's intriguing is that God allowed music to become such a main part of the church. We actually give you words written up on the screen that you can follow along with to give you an expression for how you may feel at home you don't usually have that you may pick up on it all over the place but sometimes you need to get out your thoughts and sometimes it's not in regular prose or narrative sometimes we need to cry in color sometimes we need to have our joy expressed in tone it's just the way it goes So that's why we're bringing this in, because our desire is that you worship 24 hours a day and that you have all appropriate tools by which to express your love. Remember, worship means living as if God matters. How do you express to the world, how do you express the concerns of your heart about God? We just want to give you more and more tools. Make sense? All right, let's dive into this. It's page 457 in the Bibles that are on the seats in front of you. We're in Psalm 22, verse 1. We'll go through it with a little bit of description as we wrap up our time this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the famous words of Jesus on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Why would Jesus say that? I mean, it's a little odd because you look and you go, well, he's hurting. I mean, he's been nailed to a cross. And so many of us focus on the physical pain that Jesus went through on the cross. I can tell you that although it was excruciating and significant and it drew him to the point of death, what happened spiritually and what happened internally and what happened on a deeper level was far more Than anything anyone could ever experience in a physical way there have been martyrs throughout history that have died worse deaths than jesus on the cross Something happened Within the trinity in the way that jesus paid for the sins of the world As he took the wrath of God upon him and there was something about a schism between he and the father But we look at that and we say but he knew that was coming. He told his disciples i'm coming back He actually sang a hymn on the way out to the cross. He knew what was happening Why wouldn't that make everything better? Have you ever known how a process was going to go but it still hurt in the meantime Of course it hurt. I think that Jesus started this psalm for two reasons. One, because he was living it. Two, because he was preaching it. We're all very, very familiar with the phrase, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. But when you understand this psalm, you're going to realize that Jesus' sermon was a lot longer and not quite what you think. This psalm. I believe, was spoken by Jesus because every good Jew within the sound of his voice knew the rest of it. You see, the way that would work in the ancient world is that you didn't have writings the same way available to everybody. So everything was forced into memorization. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would then follow through the rest of it by memory. And they knew how this song goes. Not only was he experiencing it, but he was telling them, do you remember how it ends? Do you remember where we're going with this? Uh, what does it mean? It means I'm hurting and help seems so far away. But look at the next line, verse three. Yet you are Holy. Despite my circumstances you are pure. You are other father. My circumstances don't dictate who you are I know who you are Enthroned on the praises of Israel all history has been praised to you In you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you They cried and they were rescued in you They trusted and were not put to shame in other words God you've always been the God of rescue Why would you not be now? Have you ever had an encouragement in the middle of a difficult time that someone was actually wise enough in your life to turn around and say, I know you feel abandoned, but has God ever abandoned you? And that re-rack takes place. That's what it was for. But look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Why would Jesus say something like that? A worm, what do you mean? He's the sinless lamb of God. Well, let's go ancient literature. In ancient literature, worms are considered helpless, frail, and unwanted. Doesn't it make sense now? Was Jesus in his humanity frail? Yes, he was deformed to the place where he was unrecognizable as a man, Isaiah says. He was beaten within inches of his life. His humanity was pouring out right in front of everybody. Was he frail? Was he helpless? In that way, yes, but not spiritually. For he said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I take it up again. Was he unwanted? Most certainly. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads and they say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him, and they mock him. How David was mocked for this, I don't know. I'm sure it happened on more than one occasion, but on Christ's situation, it was absolutely verbatim. People would walk by the cross and hide their children's eyes as a naked man hung there in shame as a criminal. And they would make fun of him. they say, so you're the big dog, right? You said that you're the son of God. Well, then come off the cross. Show us how big you are, man. Right? This is it. You've been walking around, oh, I can destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. If you think you're all that, why don't you show us right now? What? God's into you? He's not helping you right now. And the mockery fired one after another towards Jesus. Yet, verse 9, and please allow a yet in your life. This may be true, yet it's not over. Yet... You are he god who took me from the womb You made me trust in you at my mother's breast on you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my god And it doesn't change because i'm having a horrible day Be not far from me for trouble is near And there is none to help many bulls encompass me strong bulls of Bashan surround me What does that mean? Well, Bashan is an area by the Sea of Galilee now known as the Golan Heights, a Palestinian controlled area within Israel. And it got more rainfall, it was more lush. And what that allowed is for their cattle to grow stronger and bigger. And the idea was they're bullies. I'm surrounded by bullies. They open their mouths wide at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, I'm spent, I'm exhausted. I'm wiped out like a drink offering as paul said i've been poured out for the lord All my bones are out of joint What does that mean? He probably means I just feel tore apart inside That's what david meant. What did jesus mean? Well, I can tell you this the it was very important according to prophecy that none of jesus's bones were broken But you don't stretch out a man on the cross and allow him to hang there without dislocating his shoulders and pulling them right out of joint my heart is like wax and it's melted within my breast. Was Jesus wiped out? Yeah. Was David wiped out? Yeah. David probably meant that his courage had run away from him. But isn't it intriguing that when Jesus' heart sack was pierced by the spear that went up through his ribs, outpoured blood and water. Just intriguing peace. It moves on. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. More than one occasion, Jesus was offered something to drink because his mouth was dry and he couldn't speak. You lay me in the dust of death. And although David wouldn't die, Christ would. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. And they have what? Pierce my hands and feet. The Hebrew manuscripts that we have add like a lion. Because in David's world, and from a Jewish mindset, remember, there we're not focused obviously on thinking this is prophecy towards Christ. They would add like a lion, meaning that's how you have cut into me with your teeth and your claws. But that was not in the best. Translations are the best manuscripts You have pierced my hands and feet What better description of crucifixion is there? Hundreds of years before crucifixion was employed As a method of execution and not done by the jews That was a roman thing. These are jews writing it There's no reason to refer to crucifixion at all That's the power of prophecy. It continues on. It's not done. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. And look at verse 18. Because every gospel writer includes this fact. Because it's so random and weird. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. What happened? On the foot of the cross, they wanted Jesus' remaining garments. They didn't want to tear the big one. So they all cast lots to see who would get his stuff. With a perfect prophecy. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, my master, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then right here, everything changes. Whatever occurs within this verse, Hebrew takes an upswing. It says, but you have heard... Almost as if a prayer had been answered and there was an understanding from David, the author. An understanding of Christ on the cross, of the victory that was happening. Everything changed. The whole mood of the psalm shifts. It's the part we don't remember. Watch how it moves from here to the end. Because Jesus said this psalm on purpose. Watch this. You have rescued me. From the horns of the wild oxen I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you offspring of Jacob glorify him and stand in awe of him All you offspring of Israel for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cries to him God hears your cries from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear me. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. How do you blend pain and hope together without creativity? All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. How about that for hope? For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Meaning whether you are intensely blessed or on the edge of death. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. What are some of the final words of Jesus on the cross? But it is finished. That was a proclamation of victory. Though there was terror of being Torn apart on the cross, though there was the agony of suffering for the sins of mankind, Jesus proclaimed victory. That is for us, a people yet unborn. So we close with simply this idea. Is it finished for you? Or are you still at my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you get dragged into this church Today, months ago, years ago. And you still feel like God has forsaken you. And you have yet to trust in the Lord as your Savior. You have yet to allow His grace and love to wash over you. And you have yet to lay down your sin. And to hang it on the cross that Jesus can take it away. What we're going to do is we're going to close In a word of prayer, I'm going to pray for you if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. When we get done with that prayer, the prayer team will be behind on your right-hand side, behind all the artwork in the corner. I want you to go over and pray with them. And we're going to close with a video that is one of the most encouraging, powerful videos that I've seen in a long time if Jesus is t- touching on your heart and saying when will you let me forgive you when will you let the cross mean something to you when will you let me set you free when will you let me replace your heart with mine if that is you I'm going to ask that as we bow our heads and close our eyes, that you raise your hand. Would we all pray together? Let's close our eyes. If you want me to pray on your behalf along with you, I want you to raise your hand. All right. Yep. Who else? Got it. Yep. Who else? All right. All right. For all of you, I will pray along with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we raise our hands acknowledging that we need you. Acknowledging, Lord, that we cannot do it. We cannot take away our own sin. We cannot handle it. We can't go to heaven because we're not perfect But you are, Jesus. What you did on the cross was so extraordinary, so powerful, so amazing. Lord, we want it to be true for us. We don't want to sit in a congregation where everyone else can have inner joy while we have inner turmoil. We pray right now that you would lift us from the pit, that you would rise us up and give us a new heart and a new start. We pray that you would heal us from the sin damage done within our spirit. That, Lord, we are tired of walking alone. We are tired of walking away from you. We are tired of saying no to you. And we say yes today. We admit we are sinners. We need you to save us, Lord. We cannot handle this. And so what we want to do is fall at your feet, Jesus. Grab a hold of your robe and say, save me. Because it is only in you. I pray right now, Heavenly Father. That you would rescue us and save us from ourselves. That you would do what we cannot do. That you might be glorified. Father, be praised in our presence. Because we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.